Good morning, all. Good morning. Thank you, Tyler Allen. Uh, we're preachers, so we always have words to say. As, as my students know, the less I say, the better, but sorry, y'all. The last time I was here preaching, I was an intern at Clover, South Carolina, and I preached my first ever guest sermon. It was the Sunday after Christmas, I think. And everyone said it was great, mostly because it was 15 minutes long. (laughs) And I didn't have any other words to say. Um, Unfortunately, that has changed. I was just, my mother-in-law and father-in-law are in town, and she was talking about how their home church, their youth pastor, preached for 50 minutes. So I'm just going to set expectations really bad. So I figure anything under 50 is a win for y'all, right? Um, no, I'm just kidding. It's really sweet to be here. Uh, I had my notes. It's, it's such a blessing that y'all pray for and support us, in particular, uh, Jamie Pastore. We've been working together now. We just finished up five years at REF at Winthrop, and uh, Sam um, graduated uh, with us this past spring, and and it was uh, this. The last couple weeks of the end of the semester were, I think, one of our two favorite weeks. Um, Tyler, Tyler graduated a year ago. We loved your last week too, Tyler. We think you're great. Also, <laughs> last year was great. Every year is great. Um, but it, you don't always get to see the fruit of your ministry, and every once in a while, the Lord kind of pulls the veils back in a good way, and you see what He's been doing, and. It was so encouraging and so sweet to, to see uh, the Lord at work. We graduated almost 20 seniors, a part of REF and Winthrop, uh, that had almost really been around with us kind of since the beginning. And I can still remember the time Sam and his mom showed up uh, at our door. Um, they were visiting uh, Winthrop or Erskine, and we prayed, my wife and I prayed hard, uh, that they would come to Winthrop. Uh, Erskine's great. We love Erskine, but super thankful that Sam and now Leanna, of course, uh, are part uh, of our ministry. So anyways, just thank you all for praying for her. I know I say that because I know that uh, the presbytery and churches in calling her and supporting her is big and is really huge. And Winthrop's two to one female to male ratio. Um, And so having a full time staff person dedicated to ministering and caring for female students is, is I, I can't say the words of how important that is. And we saw the fruit of faithful, consistent ministry with her this past spring. Um, very clear and obvious that the Lord is gracious and good, but having someone dedicated full-time uh, is really important, and we're super thankful for that. And so thankful for y'all and your prayers for her and how important that is. So thank you. That was a long, essentially, thank you. Really appreciate y'all. And, and um, Jesus said, uh, I can do nothing on my own apart from the Father. And that is, we all know, is true in our own lives. And so thank you for your prayers. Thank you that we can literally not do our ministry without churches like y'all and people like y'all praying for us. Please continue to pray for us as we minister to the next generation. Um, and so, for better or worse, y'all are you know stuck with people like Sam and Tyler. I hope that it's a better, uh, more than a worse. So we're going to hopefully, there'll be a trickle of students continuing to worship with y'all uh, as we're happy to send them here. And, and we know uh, that they're loved here uh, and cared about. Um, 
So thankful for y'all. So if you got your Bibles, um, I hope that you weren't here um, a few weeks ago when Tom would have done Sunday school in Ephesians 2. Um, I'm just assuming what he said was better than what I'm going to say. So uh, anyways, this is God's word for you this morning uh, from Ephesians chapter 2. Potentially a well-known um, few verses, uh, one of the most important, really, sections of all of Scripture. For uh, this is what what is the Bible about? Uh, this is it. Uh, all of Scripture hinges on what we see here. Um, so this is God's word for you this morning. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. I know in a room of many diversities and ages and all the aboves, Lord, that we come to you this morning in various states, uh, our hearts, some in places of anxiety and fear, some in places of joy and hope, some in places of indifference, some in places of anger and hatred. Lord, wherever we are this morning, we pray that your Holy Spirit would draw us near to you, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we would see wonderful things about who you are according to your word and what that means for us, your people of God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you read this passage, I've been kind of mulling over and thinking through the first few verses really paints an ugly picture of who we are. And so uh, I think an accurate picture of who we are as people. But I've been trying to think through, okay, what are some times in my life where I've just been bad? And so then you start kind of replaying those things. And it, and it got my mind run into, if you remember the 80s movie, uh, The Goonies, if you haven't heard of that movie, it's one of those movies that maybe you grew up with as a child or you watched your children watch and, and you go back and you watch it and you think, I don't remember all this random swearing that is in here. <laughs> PG meant something different in the 80s, uh, which I've seen as I've been showing my children Indiana Jones trilogy. Um, I, it's all fake, and it's all good. Um, but I thought about the Goonies, and if you don't know the Goonies, the Goonies is about this group of 80s kids, and uh, they're trying to save their, their small town of Oregon from bad developers. And... Um, and, they, and the bad guys capture one of these kids because they're trying to get these treasures. And they say, tell us everything you know. And this little 10-year-old boy goes, he just starts from the beginning, and he starts doing this laundry list of all the things that he's done bad in his life. You know? And so I was thinking through those things in my life, and you get these kind of flashbacks of when you're a kid or when even really this past day, and you think, wow, I've just done some really bad things. Uh, I remember this one time in high school, 
we were with some friends out and I had my BB gun and we saw a really p- pretty bird. And it's really sad because now I've kind of turned into like a bird watching person. Um, there's some birds building a nest in my backyard and I'm so infatuated by it. So I'm horrified as my 18 year old self lined up and shot this bird. And I didn't kill it, so then I had to whack it with a shovel to make sure it was dead. Right? I'm just, I'm just like, and I was a pretty good kid, but why did I do that? You know? Like, your friends encourage you, and so you shoot this poor, defenseless, beautiful bird. I remember this other time where my grandma gave me this really pretty thing, and I decided that I would take a screwdriver to it and just break it. You know? Like, uh, that's the perfect thing. You know, you try, you, you run through these things in your head or your spouse tells you to do something and your immediate thought is, I'm not going to do that. Or as my students know, if they're carrying a tray of food, my immediate response is to want to just flip it out of their hands. Right? You know, these are all kind of things we joke and laugh about, right? But we, we get the idea that we're actually pretty bad people that at our core, our hearts bend towards evil. And we see Paul really lay it hard and thickened for us. Like, this is not pretty language. Our culture around us, the movies we watch, the, 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 anything in popular culture says we're good and that we are inherently good people. And then you read Scripture and it says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You followed the course of the world. You followed the prince of the power of the air. Right? We were children of wrath. Our very nature is against a holy God. Our very selves, who we are at our core, is we have turned our backs on a holy and loving God, and we will follow the unholy trinity of the flesh, of the world, of Satan. That's what we bend towards. And Paul, Scripture, the Lord's Word, paints this picture that we are not good people. And if we're willing to pause, and if we're willing to think through it, we know that that's true about ourselves. We know that we bend towards and we lean towards the thing that is wrong. And we could even pull it back to a big picture view, right? If we pay attention to the news for any amount of time, we can't help but think this world is bad. Right? We have to think this world is bad because it seems like it's hopeless at times. Just the simply the mass shootings, not simple, that's nothing simple about it. That's awful. Why would anybody do that? Because our hearts bend towards evil. Extreme poverty. We think of abortion in this country, the, the tens of millions of unborn children that have been killed in the womb. Why would we be a culture that bends toward that? Sexual abuse. Right? It's, it's rampant. It's always been there, but the veil is being pulled back. We're seeing it for its ugliness. Why would anybody do that to people? Right? Or even in your own lives, marriages can be hard. Friendships can be hard. Neighbors can be really difficult and painful. It can be hard to take care of a, of a, of a parent that's going through something difficult, that's dying. A child who's run away from the Lord. We have a student who's, who's adopted brother continually runs away from his loving parents. We live in a broken and sinful world because we are broken and sinful. We've turned our backs on a holy and loving God. You and I are simply put, we're bad. We're bad. And we see Paul lay that out for us. 
Why do we need to know that? Why do you and I need to know that we are sinful people that have turned our backs on a holy and loving God? Why do we need to hear that we are children of wrath? Because as one person said, only the person who understands something of the greatness of God's wrath will be mastered by the greatness of God's mercy. We have to know how sinful we are in order to know how good God is. If you saw a um, movie, I guess it was two years ago now, uh, based on the true story of Dunkirk. Um, Dunkirk, if you're history people, the very beginning of World War II, uh, the English had come to help the French and the Belgians as the Nazi army was rolling through the Netherlands and Belgium and on its way to France. And they'd been completely crushed and humiliated. And 330,000 British troops are sitting and waiting on the beach. They're completely surrounded. We saw this uh, illustrated in the movie Dunkirk a couple summers ago. And so 330,000 British soldiers are waiting on the beach. They're 50 miles from home, and there's absolutely nothing that they can do to save themselves. Unless something comes, unless someone comes to save them, they have no hope and will be completely captured. And so they're waiting, sitting on the beach probably one of the most humiliating and frightful and terrifying places for anyone to be. And I think we can relate that to ourselves. Have you had your Dunkirk, if you will? Do you know that you are completely hopeless? Do you know that you have nothing in your own ability to make yourself holy and loved by God? Do you know that you are completely surrounded and on your own strength and on your own ability, you cannot make it to be with the Lord? We are sinners. We are hopeless without Jesus. But these first few verses can be really hard and kind of painful to hear. But Paul, the Lord, Scripture doesn't leave us wanting and hopeless, does he? No. What does he say in verse 4? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loves, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Right? Y'all, what was once a destiny of death is now a destiny of hope if you trust in Jesus. But you might have some objections to being bad, right? We all have objections in some sense, in one way or another. Perhaps you've lived a good life. You're a really nice person. You do the good things. You do the nice things. You haven't really kind of done the rebellious and horrible thing. You've, You've always been a nice church person, if you will. And so you don't think you need anybody else. You've never really maybe had your Dunkirk. Or maybe you're the person who has done so much that you're a person in this room and you see everyone around and you think everyone else has got it together. Everyone else is good. I've done too much bad. I've sinned too much. I've run away from the Lord. If people knew what I've done, they would know that I've not, I'm too far gone. I'm too bad. I'm too sinful. Or maybe the type of person, which I think a lot of us sit in this category, is you trust in Jesus. But you doubt often. You're not sure. 
I keep doing this thing that I say I'm not going to do. You do it over and over and over again. Why would I keep doing that same thing if I really trusted in Jesus? I lack assurance. How do I really know if I'm in Christ? And so I think one of the most helpful illustrations that Jesus gives us in the Gospels is the story of the crying woman who comes into Jesus. Jesus is feasting with the Pharisees, with the religious leaders, and here comes this crying woman, and she begins to wash Jesus with her, with her hair, and she's, she's broken the perfume, and she begins to anoint Jesus. And what do the religious leaders do? They condemn her. If Jesus knew what this woman had done, Jesus wouldn't let her near him. And so Jesus tells this story. I used a... I know not ever, obviously all aren't college students, but maybe you could still fit in this category. Uh, he tells the story of a money lender. Well, you guys are about to go into money lending business. I shouldn't say business. Money lending faith. How about? Um, he tells a story. One person owes a huge, insurmountable debt. There's almost no way this person will ever be able to pay it back. And he tells another person about this person has a smaller debt, and maybe this person will be able to pay it back. And the king takes those two people who owe him a huge amount of money and a little amount of money, and the king says, I forgive both of you. Your debts are forgiven. And I think what we can do with that story is we can, we can do a couple things. We can do a one, man, I, I'm, I'm the little sinner person. I only, I only owe Jesus a little bit of debt. I've only sinned a little bit in my life. And if, if you're anything like me, that's how I sometimes can operate. I've never done the big sins. I've never really done the really horrible things. Or I've only maybe done a little bit of sins. And so Jesus is only taking care of a little bit of my sin, a little bit of my debt, because I don't sin much. But Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And so again, I think what we can do is go, I haven't sinned much. I'm a pretty good person. But if we compare those to Paul's word, that everybody is dead in their trespasses, there is no little sinner and big sinner, y'all. We've all sinned much. Our debt to Jesus is insurmountable. Our debt to the holy God is so big that we cannot pay it. There are no big sinners and little sinners. You and I are all Sinners. We all need help because we've all been separated from a loving God. And yet, if we trust in Jesus, we are united to Jesus perfectly. We are made alive together in Christ. In every single way that Jesus is alive, you are alive too. The Winter Olympics seem like an eon, eon, eons ago, because it's finally 90 degrees has happened. <laughs> but if you happen to watch the Winter Olympics in 2018, uh, if you turn on any Winter Olympics at any time, you're going to see a long ice alley and people throwing big circle things, also known as curling. Anybody? Can I get the little nods? So if you don't know curling, curling is essentially ice shuffleboard. And a person like me who likes to pretend that he's athletic who actually isn't, this would be the only way I'm ever getting into the Winter Olympics is because the most normal, average-looking people are Olympic curlers. 
So in this Olympic curling sport, you've got four people on a team. And the Americans, if you haven't watched in 2018, made this incredible comeback. They were two and four in the round robin, and they had to win every single last game to make it into the playoffs and then make it into the gold medal match. And I happened to turn on when they're in the semifinals against the Finnish All-Stars. You know, the F- Finland is, of course, the... the the, the New England Patriots, if you will, of, of curling. They win at everything. And so America, in this incredible underdog story, beats the Finns and then goes on to win the gold medal match. And, and it's these, again, four super average people. And so I also happen to watch the gold medal ceremony. And so four-man team and up front, there's a point to my story. I'm not just talking about uh, curling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, y'all. Um, Sam, uh, I have to point out, uh, both these guys, they give senior talks at the end of, uh, of RUF. There's a senior night. The, they, we give seniors opportunity at our last large group to talk about the Lord at work in their lives. And so Tyler gave a great one a year ago. Uh, I'm not just saying that. He really did. Sam had recorded on a Google Drive every bad or ridiculous illustration that I'd made about Jesus. <laughs> and... I shouldn't bring it up because this is Michael's. I'm going to get a, like charges now about how I compared to Jesus. So, anyways, if you want it, Sam's got a Google Drive. You can hopefully he'll give context to, to my points. Um, point is, gold medal ceremony, four man team, five people up front. Joe, not kidding. His name is Joe. Joe was the alternate for the U.S. Olympic curling team. Joe didn't sweep one time. Joe didn't throw one stone, and yet Joe received the exact same gold medal that his four teammates did. If you're a Clemson fan and you say, who won the national championship in football, who do you say won? We, we did. If you're a USC baseball fan I'm trying, or basketball, women's basketball, who do you say won? We won. And my joke is, someday when Virginia Tech wins something, I will say, <laughs> we won also. Right? You didn't contribute anything to any of those victories. Joe didn't contribute one single anything to his gold medal, and yet he received the exact same gold medal. Right? Perfectly united to Jesus. You didn't do anything to deserve God's grace in Jesus Christ. You didn't do anything to deserve God's kindness in Jesus Christ. Yet in every single way that God the Father loves his Son, he perfectly loves you. You are perfectly united to him. You are made alive together in Jesus Christ. If Jesus chose to save you when you are dead, surely he will continue to love you in life. Y'all with me on that one? Perfectly united to Christ. And yet you've done nothing to deserve it. The gold medal, if y'all will, is yours. And it's never being taken away from you. And I think this is so important to let sink into our hearts because we all have moments of doubt. We all have moments of fear. We all have moments of anxiety. We all have moments of suffering. But if you are in Christ, you are 100% His. And He's never going to let you go. And if we're not quite sure what's going on here, we kind of see another summary of this in the next few verses. Paul then says it for us a little more clearly. 
For by grace you've been saved through faith. Who's doing it? This is not your doing. Where is it from? It's a gift from God. Did I do anything to merit this grace? It's not a result of works. Why is that? So that I may, I may not boast. Right? Paul really lays in that we are sinners, that we are children of wrath. Sorry, one side of the room always becomes the bad people. It's <laughs> kind of how it works. Right? We are, we have to know who we are apart from Jesus. And maybe this is true of some of you in this room now. We have to know who we are apart from Jesus so that we can really let sink in Christ's grace for us now. And yet, then Paul continues to press in because what we can tend to do is focus on our justification. I think we can generally get it's by grace we've been saved, but then often what we do, which is kind of our natural Americanism, is do it on your own. Okay, Jesus saved me, now it's on my own strength. Jesus saved me from death, now I live the Christian life. Jesus saved me, but now I've got to do everything on my own strength. And yet Paul presses in hard. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. This is verse 10. Which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. The grace that saved us is the same grace that enables us to live the Christian life. We cannot do the Christian life. We cannot follow Jesus on our own strength. The grace that brought us into a relationship with Christ is the same grace that allows us to live for Him. If we go back to uh, the Dunkirk illustration, 330,000 British soldiers waiting on the beach. No hope. And if you watch the, uh, the movie, it's a really intense movie. There's a, there's a clicking clock, clicking clock. There's a clock ticking <laughs> throughout the whole movie. Kind of in the, it's his background, and it's really kind of stressful because the scenes, the movie's stressful because these soldiers they don't know is hope coming. And so there's uh, this one scene where this British commander he's got his binoculars and he's looking out on the water, and you see this big smile light up in his face, and the guy with him goes, "What is it?" And he looks out and he sees hundreds of boats. And he goes, home. Home has arrived. Hundreds and hundreds of British boats have crossed the English Channel to bring 330,000 British troops back home. Salvation has come. They've done nothing to deserve it. In fact, they've done everything in the opposite to deserve it. They've been completely defeated. And yet, by the grace of God, these, these boats come, pick them up, and they're on their way home. And of course, every illustration breaks down at some point, as Sam can point out for my illustrations. But they're, they're on their way home. They're in the boat, right? They're going to make it back to England. That's why every illustration breaks down, because not every boat's going to make it back. But your boat will. <laughs> if you are in Christ, your boat will make it back home. You will. But now there's work to be done. There's work to be done on the boat. But the same grace that got you on the boat is the same grace that enables you to continue to do work. Y'all, read Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 this afternoon. You cannot do, I cannot do Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 on my own. It is impossible. Just simply Ephesians 5 talks about a husband loving his wife. My wife can tell you all the times that I fail her. 
I can't do it. It calls children to respect and love their parents. I know you can't do it, children, and I love you dearly. It calls parents to love their children. We know we can't do that. It calls you to love your bosses and your coworkers and your neighbors. It calls you to walk in humility towards one another. In chapter 4, it calls you to stay away from sexual immorality. It calls you to not covet anything. That is not possible. We cannot do the Christian life on our own. But Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 are not on their own. They are grounded in the fact that it is by grace you do this. By grace you love one another. By grace you walk in humility towards one another. By grace you love your spouse. By grace you fight off temptation. By grace you love your neighbor that you don't want to. We cannot do the Christian life on our own. We cannot be saved on our own. But we don't have to. It's all right here. By grace you have been saved. Through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Would you all pray with me? Father, we thank you for your sweet, sweet grace. Father, if there are those here who do not know you, would they turn to you for the first time this morning and follow you through faith by grace. And for those of us that do know you, Lord, would we live following you by your strength, by your grace, and not our own. It's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.